Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to Watch Time, your weekly download and everything gaming and business and YouTube and all that fun stuff. My mm-hmm. name's Muzok. I'm a YouTuber. With a few million subscribers, my co-host is Grace. Hey, y'all. I'm Grace. I run Click Management, one of the world's biggest YouTube management agencies for gamers. And we're back. Episode two. Because episode one was just, it just took over the world. So we decided, you know what, we'll do a second one. Why not? (laughs) Give the people what they want. Exactly. (laughs) All right. On this week's episode, we're going to be chatting a bunch of stuff. Is Fortnite dying? What's the state of the game? Ninja's new Fortnite skin that came out, the 100 Thieves merch drop. We've got Fortnite coming to the Australian Open and we're going to talk about YouTubers doing original content on platforms. So YouTube is getting Netflix shows, YouTube is getting YouTube Red shows and why it's happening, if it works, who's doing it well, who's doing it poorly. A lot of people doing it poorly, definitely. Yeah, yeah. But first, so that's the of, topic all, first of all, how was your week, Elliot? Pretty good. I uh, did my first YouTube stream. Lots of fun. 12 hours. Raised a bunch of money for charity. Super fun. Uh, And then I got sick. And I didn't get... Deathly ill. Yep. Didn't do anything (laughs) for the rest of the week because crater... Another and 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 my girlfriend infected me. I got I got infected by all the people around me, and I managed to avoid giving it to anyone because I'm great at you know not sharing. So it was a good first stream. Yeah, really good first stream. Got one stream done and then got knocked out for the week. So beautiful. How about you? Good, good week. Start. It was a bloody hectic week last week. I think it was insane. Monday, we announced you and Lannan, both with your YouTube contracts, which was super exciting and months in the making. So it was amazing to be able to finally talk about that and see you guys start streaming. We announced our massive Fight the Fires charity stream, which was all pulled together pretty quickly, but on the whole, like a pretty massive success. We had some incredible involvement from some of our friends near and far, which was amazing. And then we launched the potty, which was fun. So... um, yeah, all in all, very exciting, big week, but that's how we like it. So Very hectic. <laughs> all right, let's get into it. First topic for today, we're going to talk about the state of Fortnite. Where is it at? Horrible. And why, basically, like, give us a little bit of a backstory from a creative perspective. Tell us about the moment that you remember Fortnite launched and then what the last two years have been like since then. Yeah, I mean Fortnite. I, I've I've done I've done YouTube for a lot of different games. I've done YouTube for TF2. I've done YouTube for Overwatch, and uh, I mean obviously a bunch of variety in the middle. And of all of them, Overwatch, Fortnite, sorry, has always just been the best. I mean they're all similar in the sense that they're all kind of linear multiplayer games where every every you know time you load into a roughly twenty minute game, you do something, and then at the end of that twenty minutes, the game is over. Mm-hmm. Fortnite was the best of those three because 
it number one allowed for so much creativity just with building the number of kind of like the the variety of things you could do off the bat was just instantly so much better with the way you could build up and you know sit at the top of the map or you could create these crazy things long story short the actual just base gameplay in fortnite better than any other game i made videos on variety when you're making videos is everything because you need to try and crank out a video every day and not only that you need to crank out a hopefully unique video every day. So you need to be trying to think up things that people haven't done before. And then Fortnite built on top of that because it used to be standard. I mean, you know, 10 years ago, games released or 15 years ago, games released. They did not update. You would be like, oh yeah, we released Mario. This pay $60. Mar yeah, pay $60. Done. This is Mario. This it's That's the game. And you buy the game today, it's the same game you would have got back in 1990. <laughs> but these days, games are very much, you know, kind of more about updating. And there were games like Overwatch, which would update once every month. And when I say update, it would basically be they'd rehash something they'd done before. But it was like at least a little bit of content, which is lifeblood for but YouTube. But Fortnite, I think, completely redefined content from or redefined gaming from a content creator perspective. So YouTube if you're loved them. If you're a YouTuber or a Twitch streamer, I think Fortnite really do did what had never been done before. They created a game that was almost designed for creators, right? Like weekly updates. It was beautiful to look at. It was colorful. It was bright. It wasn't gory or dark. Yeah. And the weekly updates in particular, I think, just created this hype every week. Yeah. So if you're a big Fortnite creator, you can't miss uploads. You've got to keep talking about Fortnite because yeah, it's but so also it's relevant. easy to keep talking about Fortnite. I mean, so totally. I think pretty much from when the game first dropped, every single week there was an update. And it was insane. I remember just thinking, there's no way they can keep this going. You just can't keep thinking of things to put in the game. But almost every single week there was a new item, a new weapon, a new launch pad, a new something. And every single time they added something new to the game, that meant a new, normally at least one to two new videos, which once again, as a content creator is everything. On top of that, the map would be evolving constantly. Things were going insane and it just kept going crazier and crazier. It started off by just adding items. Then the map would start doing crazy stuff. And then towards season eight or nine, it was, you know, the map was evolving every single week. They were adding mm -hmm. these giant new zones. There were mechs in the game that were blowing everything up. Everyone was going excited. insane. There was too much content. And then we got to season X, which is this season. And it was almost like they realized that they had a little bit too much fun at the frat party and everyone just woke <laughs> up with a really big hangover and they were like, whoa, <laughs> we got to slow down, man. This is a little bit crazy. And they went from updating the game every single week, not only updating the game, changing the entire map every single week, adding a new item every week to this season. I believe they've added really one new item to the game the whole season. And it's been the longest season ever in the last three months. Normally in this amount of time, we would have had about 12 to 15 updates, a whole lot of map changes. We've had really one minor update, which added a new weapon, which... Is crazy. And the map has, with the exception of a couple of little things around Christmas, done nothing, which is been very interesting and, as a content creator. And the communication seems to have dropped a bit. Like I remember when back in the glory days of Fortnite, people would be hanging out for the patch notes, like ahead mm. of updates. You would be like, what's going to happen? And people would be reading the patch notes on videos and that sort of thing. Whereas now even that sort of dropped off. And it's 
curious because you kind of wonder what's happening over at Epic right now because they have an insane developer team. That is undeniable. Like their dev team must be next level. What do you do with billions of dollars? You hire a bunch of developers. But what are they doing? What are they working on? Well, that's why it has me excited because I think a lot of people, they look at the way Fortnite is right now and they go, oh, wow, okay, they've stopped the updates they have, you know, they're not changing the map anymore. They're not communicating. They're not even bothering to release patch notes. They've just given up. And it's like, no, you don't. Epic is a company. You don't have a game that made one and a half billion dollars last year and then go, oh, we're a little bit bored of that. Hey, like mm. we might just, you know, pop off. It's like, no, that doesn't, that's, that's not, that, that's not a thing. If something, yeah. if you're a business and something is making money, you don't give up on it. So I think that and and I think there's also been a lot of really cryptic stuff from the developers as well. They've been talking a lot about they're really trying to turn Fortnite from just a battle royale game into I, th- I believe they're a using world. the term they're using the term metaverse, Ooh, which is I know better than very, world. I know better than <laughs> better than a world. But I think the idea is that it can be a hub for um for pretty much anything. I think that's mm. their goal is that. Fortnite is the sandbox on top of which anything can happen, which yeah. is absolutely the right way to go. You look at, uh, you know, the biggest kind of long surviving games. Basic example would be, you know, something like Minecraft. You've also got stuff like Roblox, which, you know, introduces that sandbox element. Any big long-term game forms the basis for people to just create on top of. And Fortnite took the first step when they added creative mode. And my theory for why they haven't updated the game in months and months and months is they must be just building something huge. They must be building some huge behind-the-scenes infrastructure, which they're planning on dropping, which is going to completely, I hope, as a content creator, maybe I'm, just, maybe I'm just, you know, getting a little bit too excited for my own sake, but that will totally redefine what Fortnite can do as an engine and the way it runs and the way people play the game. Yeah, I think there's no way that they could be a company that is moving at such pace with such frequency of updates and just massive growth to doing almost a 180 and really, really slowing down just because they don't have any more ideas. I don't believe that. I think that they're too smart. They're too clever. They're seeing too far down the line of what's possible to do that. So I think, is Fortnite dead? I mean... Fortnite's... No, Fortnite's definitely... I mean, Fortnite's just not... It's still the biggest thing. That's the crazy yeah. thing. Everyone's like, oh, Fortnite's dead. No, Fortnite is still by far massively, undeniably huge. There is no other game out there that will consistently pull the amount of engagement that Fortnite will. Mm-hmm. I mean, like Minecraft may be close, but that's like, you know, always been a long running thing in the in the background. But, um, and also just the fact that there's nothing else on the horizon even close to taking its place. I don't mm. think Fortnite can be taken out anytime soon. And I think when it does get taken out, it's going to be by something that people don't really see coming. Yeah. Um, but but also, like, I, I've, I'm, I have full faith in Epic. I think Epic, you know, like any big company, there's always that cycle where it gets to a point where as soon as you're a big company, you're doing well, people are going to not like you. Epic is more switched on than I think, and I've worked with a lot of companies doing YouTube, they, they understand, like mm. they, they do, they get the space. I mean, you can debate on the finer points, like are they doing esports perfectly? But in terms of they understand what a game needs to do to succeed in the long term. And, and in 2020. 
Like, and they have the flexibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in 2020, and they also have, unlike any other company, the flexibility of uh, number one, they literally built the engine that their game is on mm. from the ground up. They True. made Unreal Engine, which means they're literally like the gods of their own playground. <laughs> also, they have a really good company culture of, I think, just really kind of going. I think sometimes they push it a little bit. You know, they go a little bit too aggressive on just moving quickly, which is why you see some glitches get in the game. But you see the opposite spectrum of that with a mm. game like Overwatch, where they are just so locked down and like everything must, every pixel must be perfectly shaded. Yeah. And it's and you see that and they don't manage to update the game really for three years. And when they finally announce Overwatch 2, it's basically just Overwatch 1. Mm. But, you know, and I still think probably the Overwatch team's working on some big stuff, but they definitely didn't have that nimble aspect that Epic had. Yeah. I think Epic understands the space. They own the engine. They are very, very nimble on their feet. And also they have a few billion dollars, which doesn't hurt. I think Epic epitomizes moving fast and hard and they would rather release an update with a couple glitches or mistakes than not release an update at all. And they understand that the value really is in them moving fast and not necessarily in constantly being perfect. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I guess my final note on the uh, stoking the hype train point would be uh, I found it very, very interesting that Epic actually announced a, which they've never done for any season before. This season was already, I believe, going to be the longest and they announced a delay to the next season starting of about- Oh, really? A, I didn't see that. It, it, no, they announced it They announced like a month and a half ago. It, oh. was, it was an almost like two month delay. So the new season was supposed to be happening, I believe, very, very start of January or even December. True, because um, it's been December. about three months. Yeah, it's been way longer than a normal season. A normal season runs for eight weeks or something. I think this one's almost been double. Hmm. Um, and they announced a delay. And I reckon, I'm hoping, you know, <laughs> put me on a cross from wrong, but they uh, that I reckon they have some big, big features that they're looking to launch with the next season. And they realized they couldn't quite get them done by in time. Yeah. And they've pushed the season back because they're working on huge features that they want to drop in the next season. And I, I know from talking to, uh, you know, some of the team, what like the kind of things that they've got their eye on. And it's definitely in that vein of giving Fortnite that just yep. infinite lifespan. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm really hoping that we're going to see some of those arrive because that right. would be... <laughs> That's Muzelk's prediction. Stay tuned for when the new season launches and... You Interesting can call him out if he's completely wrong and Could there's be wrong. no new updates. Don't sue me. <laughs> All right, moving on. Let's jump to our next segment, which is on the feed. A couple people commented um, on the YouTube video, which we uploaded and had some creative ideas for what we should call on the feed, but I can't remember them. Anyway, poor organization. Basically, basically, this is where we're going to discuss a couple of the headlines that we've seen on Twitter this week um, that have just been what's what's been happening. Happening in the gaming world. So first one we're going to talk about is the 100 Thieves merch drop. So they released their first merch drop for the year. And the reason I wanted to talk about this is I think 100 Thieves really made a name for themselves and just killed it in a way that no other org or gaming company really has by, by massively creating that hype around merch and it mm. not just being slapping your logo on a t-shirt but them really considering how they do it and doing those drops that allow them to sell out whatever that actually means yeah, and do it that way. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, they definitely weren't the first people to do drops or do limited drops or have the whole sellout thing going on. But 
they definitely did it better than anyone else. And I don't know what exactly, I think that it was a really good mixture of their branding, the way they marketed it, the way they communicated. Um, I think that that whole, I mean, quote unquote, um, artificial scarcity thing is really, Mm. really interesting because, you know, you can, it's just such a talking point because I think the number one way I hear about 100 Thieves merch isn't people being like, oh, look at this shirt I've got or I really like the design. It's, did you hear 100 Thieves merch sold out in under 20 seconds when they did this drop or something like that? Well, I got one of the limited edition hoodies And it's even like popping up on like Hypebeast websites now. And that's crazy. And that's that's genius because realistically you could, uh, you know, I could go out right now and I could release a shirt and I could have, I I could have a, a stock of two and I could be like, guys, we're dropping the new Muselk shirt Tuesday. First two people buy it. I'm like, sold out guys. Oh my God, you sold it out. And, and once again, I'm sure, and I'm actually hundred percent confident, hundred thieves is doing huge volume in what they're selling. But I, I think heard, back in, I think yeah. back in the day when they first launched the brand. And I think these days they hundred percent are capable of doing big, big volume, but I'm sure back in the day when they did their first few drops, uh, it was a very tactical decision to probably run at a loss even, or not far off and just severely limit the amount that they were selling Mm. to create that scarcity. And basically, so people would see all their favorite YouTubers wearing it. Their favorite YouTubers would want to wear it because they hear it's rare and their viewers like the rare stuff. And then for the couple of hundred people who get it, they feel super lucky. But Mm. then the outward image is, oh my God, 100 Thieves does the hottest merch on the market and you literally can't get it because they drop it and it's gone. Yeah, they did an amazing job of that. I heard... I mean, just a rumor, hold me to it. But I think I heard in their first year around the time or before they'd got their Series A funding that their limited edition drops were about 300 items per drop, which is not that much. I mean, it is It is with the so, reach yeah. that they have. It would be easy to say that that sells out in 20 minutes or whatever. Yeah. Um, but and then you add like 200 for like so- sending that to different YouTubers and... Yeah, but more power to them for creating that model and it really does go a long way to what I think they've built on now in creating a really powerful brand for 100 Thieves. And um, and yeah, the fact that they can get it popping up on hype-based websites after for an esports org is, is pretty crazy. And I'm excited to see what more orgs do in the future in terms of developing their brands beyond just teams. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so next thing we're going to talk about is Ninja being one of the first creators or the first creator to really get their own custom skin in-game for Fortnite. Mm. And I think it's a good follow-on from what we discussed earlier about how Fortnite's developing the game. And maybe this is a teaser that there are bigger things to come. But this week we saw Ninja release his skin. Epic announced a number of other creators, including Loserfruit, who we work with, that she'll be getting a skin in game and Pokimane released her emote, which was pretty cool as well. But what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think Epic's, I, they're not the first to do it. I, I think League of Legends especially has maybe done a little bit of integrating uh, YouTubers and streamers into the game before, um, or at least kind of giving them packs, I believe. Definitely ones like, um, you know, H1Z1, etc. But long story short, I reckon it's awesome. I think Epic's always seen the value of having YouTubers and streamers mm. uh, really kind of become more more part of that ecosystem of uh, really spending in game. 100%. I mean, you've always seen it in games like Counter-Strike when YouTubers make 
stuff like, you know, the knives and CSGO and all the weapon skins and hats and all that kind of stuff, when they make that a big part of their content, obviously like the culture itself plays into the whole thing, but YouTube's ability to kind of take that and push it out further and really just build that excitement and that hype around just items in general it has always been crazy. And I think that, you know, you look at something like the um, supporter creator program, oh. which, you know, like it, it, certain channels made millions and millions from, but the, um, but, but the interesting thing is that, you know, from Epic, that's 5%. They, they, yeah. they gave away 5%, 120th. And I guarantee oh. that not only from the the viewer's perspective, they would be spending 5% more because they want to feel like they're supporting their favorite YouTuber. And also the fact that they've got their favorite YouTubers and channels saying like, use my code, use my code, get this thing. Yeah. Oh my God, look at this skin. This skin's so good. It's like leveraging the biggest giant marketing machine behind your product. And then on top of that, you've also just... It, yeah, once again, it's that it's that five percent. Like it's a it's just a no brainer. Yeah, and I think that giving Ninja that skin in game is really just the next evolution of mm-hmm. that. It's kind of just taking it to that. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Next level. Yeah, I think Epic has always done an amazing job recognizing the value of creators and the value of having creators invested in their game and I think this is just the next progression of that and I'm keen to see where they take it and what else they do with it Um, and I think that's something that we could see that's something I would foresee in the future as a possibility with Epic like going back to what we were saying earlier about creators almost having their own worlds or their own little servers within within Fortnite would be super cool but support a creator man I feel like I don't know if audiences really understand how insane that was for creators. At the peak Oof, of Supporter the Creator. four times months. The, at the peak of Supporter Creator, I guarantee you some of your biggest YouTubers and streamers are making more money from Supporter Creator than they are off their ad rev on YouTube. That is 100% a possibility. It was... And big channels as well who oh are making goodness. a lot of ad rev. Absolutely insane. People joke about the fact that Tifu and that sort of thing got Code Tifu tattooed or was it Banks that got Code Tifu tattooed? I know, I know Touchy, Code Laser I mean, got Code Laser tattooed. Yeah, yeah. But there's there's a reason for that. It was extremely I impactful. mean, hey, look, I can't say anything. You, you, I don't <laughs> think you signed a contract, but I'm, I'm definitely... Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm saying yeah. it was impactful. It I was very it was impactful. A, it was, a big it was deal. very impactful, and it's great because it's it's a mutual benefit. You have, I think, small creators where, um, once again, it just because it's so impactful, it suddenly turns. You know, especially I love the way that they integrated supporter creator into the you know creative mode, so mm. the people who make really good maps That's get great. people to use their code, Amazing. and then suddenly you've got people who make maps in Fortnite with norm- who would normally have zero financial kind of incentive compensation from that yeah Mm -hmm. they suddenly are like oh my god like i made a popular map and now i can do this as a full-time job yeah that's insane and i think that that's awesome i think that's that was my favorite way where i saw supporter creator leverage like obviously like there's the whole like you know like 
it's great giving you know YouTubers and Twitch streamers more ways to make revenue. But I think the coolest thing was that they found something that doesn't normally make any revenue at all, which is just you know doing that custom map creation. And they found a way to literally give people full-time jobs doing that. Like Dolphin Insane. Dom, like people, I know a lot of the map makers that, you know, my friends work with and now able to do that as a job, not just from like YouTubers who get them to make a map, but also that supporter creator. Crazy. Yeah. And thirdly on the Fortnite news, God, we've got a lot of Fortnite news this week. It's big Fortnite day. But, um... The Australian Open is doing a Fortnite competition. I think it's really, really cool to see how traditional sports are getting on board with games and you're seeing more and more of a tie between traditional entertainment industries like sport or movies, whatever, that are tying in with gaming. And it's a really it's a really impressive step forward. It's the second time that Tennis Australia has done it and I'm keen to see what happens. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I love all these big live events. I think it's it's definitely cool seeing games go more and more mainstream. I think you've seen for a little while now a lot of kind of mainstream things from, you know, TV to everything, just trying to, like, understand what this whole gaming thing is yeah. more and more and more. And I think you've seen different toes dipped in in different ways. Uh, but I think that they just – it's crazy when they realize that a lot of these you know, just online tournaments will pull – more kind of, uh, th I mean, number one, they pull attention to the whole event, but also just number two, like they will really, you know, get a pretty decent number of people into a stadium yeah. for video games, yeah, which, uh, which is awesome. And then obviously I'm sure they have Epic supporting it as well, which makes it all easier. Mm -hmm. They get to bring in a whole new generation for uh, tennis, which might not normally be like engaging with that, but yeah, I love it. I mean, love to see it. Live, and live events just on a personal note, like, love going to them because it's such an such an incredible vibe like w when you're a youtuber you you only really get to mostly you're interacting in the online space so you have you know like oh a million people watched a video today cool i'm just gonna you know still in my office go home. Every day. like still in my office just sipping my water you know <laughs> um and then you go to a stadium and you have 200 people like literally one five thousandth of that number who <laughs> who might like chant your name or something and you're just like whoa, this is, real. this is power. Yeah. I control all the 12-year-olds and I will command <laughs> them at my will, you know? like And just orchestrating that number of people, you just realise like the scale of everything. It kind it's, of puts faces to the numbers. It's definitely amazing to see it play yeah. out in real life. Very all cool. right, and on to our last segment and our second deep dive of the day. We're going to talk about YouTubers doing highly produced original content. So YouTubers that are getting into Netflix shows or YouTube Red shows or talk shows. Lily Singh recently, I think, was the big example of this. She got her own late night show. And honestly, I think anyone would probably say that the reviews of it have been pretty overwhelmingly negative. Really? Haven't watched too much. Really? So... This is something that I think about a lot because I think that for the longest time, social media or YouTube or Twitch was sort of seen as the ugly little sister to movies and traditional TV shows and Hollywood production and that sort of thing. It was seen as a stepping stone or if you're lucky, you could make it to TV or you could make it onto a movie or you could get a Netflix show maybe – and it was sort of seen as obviously that's the main goal and YouTube is down here yeah. a little bit. 
And it's really interesting because obviously YouTube's been around 10 to 12 years now. There are creators that have just developed mass audiences that have then been able to go and take them to traditional media formats. And I think you've seen different iterations of how that works, but I don't think it's necessarily been all that successful all the time. And I think it's still a conversation piece where a lot of people think that's the ultimate or that's the next level. Whereas now, sometimes I think people are kind of changing their tune and they're kind of, at least from an audience perspective, anti the traditional entertainment route and pro YouTuber because it actually has a huge amount of benefits that traditional media doesn't have. Yeah, I mean, I think it's 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 a bit interesting. You can tell a lot of the time when traditional media tries to reach into the YouTuber space. I don't think it's so much because they like the content or they understand the content. They just look at their audience like, oh my God, our entire viewership is a bunch of 60 to 80 year old <laughs> people who are, you know- About not, to die. <laughs> yeah, we're not, we're, not, we're not really, you know, they're not, they're not coming into their prime. They're kind of more on the way out. Like, what is our plan here? And I think, so it, it's really them. And they're like, oh my God, wow. All these 20 year olds, shockingly, don't want to watch three minutes of ads for every four minutes of content. Yeah. All these 20 year olds don't want to be told when they need to watch what they want to watch. No. They want to, they want to engage with, you know, things immediately. And I think, you know, that's largely the reflection of that is that, you know, they're reaching and they're trying to pull that audience over. They're trying to pull her audience from YouTube onto whatever platform she's on. I think that, um, yeah, I think it's, there, there's a lot of different, facets to this topic because yeah. it's not it's about you know where is it hosted it's also about what the way they kind of like put that content together you know how do they make it what uh you know is are they actually saying we want the youtuber or are they saying we want the youtuber to play a part mm. in this you know which i think i think that's even more interesting but last things on the uh on the platform point because i think that's most important i think um once again i haven't watched uh lily singh's show but I think, you know, I'd be interested to know, is the negative feedback because the show's bad? Very possibly from what I've heard on the grapevine. But also I think the internet, especially more than anyone, if they don't like something, they will witch hunt. Yes. And I think that if you've got your favorite YouTuber who's like, oh, like if you want to keep watching me, like you have to be sitting on your couch at 7 p.m. on C-SPAN <laughs> where you watch eight minutes of ads and then I'll come out and tell a joke. They're going to be like, no, this sucks. And they're just going to pan it. Yeah. So I think that, that that's also the danger is that I a lot of the time you try and push the internet one way, it will backfire hard because they'll push back. Yeah, I think we're in a new generation now. I remember when I was a kid, back in the day, um, you know, it used to be like, oh, my favorite show is going to be on at 7.30 p.m. on a Wednesday and I would wait for it. Whereas now people just have way higher expectations. They don't want to be told when and where they're able to watch content. They want to be able to watch it on their mobile when they're literally anywhere in the world, whenever they want. And I think traditional media hasn't quite caught up with that. And that's something that the internet, obviously in the nature of it, has just done so, so well. And I think um, it's really interesting to see now how traditional platforms are actually kind of doing a 180 on that. And now you're seeing a bunch of traditional shows like Ellen, like Jimmy Fallon, like a lot of the traditional media publications creating content that is designed for YouTube. Vogue now has a huge online YouTube presence of content because they're making content that's specifically for YouTube where they can hit a young audience. Yeah. And it's kind of funny to me that 
it used to be this whole dream for YouTubers to be able to make it to traditional media, yeah. whereas now it's actually traditional media that's going the other way around. Yeah. And I know that, like, we've had a lot of instances where, like, traditional media might want to, like, cover, you know, YouTube or, you know, have one of the YouTubers on, like, a game show that we manage yeah. or something like that. And, like, 99% of the time everyone's, like... Ew, no. And so I, I want to stay away from that. Yeah, I think audience as well. And it was a really good point you made earlier about whether or not are they getting the YouTuber to play themselves or are they getting the YouTuber to act? And I think both of those things can have pros and cons. But oftentimes I think audiences don't love it because the amazing thing about YouTube content and the thing that makes YouTube content so unique and different to traditional media is that it's so raw yep. and that there's no filter between the audience and you as a creator except the camera. There's no production crew. There's no editing process beyond what you're editing yourself for the most part. Yeah. And I think people love feeling that authenticity in a time where people are bombarded with ads, they're bombarded with like overwhelming media in the day-to-day. It's so nice to be able to connect with someone that might be anywhere in the world and just have that feel so raw. And when media takes that away and suddenly they're putting them in a costume or with makeup when they don't usually wear makeup and they're reading a script, suddenly it's like, this isn't the person that I watch. The whole reason that I like that person mm. is completely irrelevant now. Yeah, and I mean, one of, the, one of the biggest reasons that YouTube, I think, has become so successful is that, you know, TV, t- TV's obviously always been, you know, it's not real and it's not genuine. And even the real genuine shows are people playing a part. And I think that one of the big reasons that YouTube took up is just people have just gotten increasingly better at seeing through that you know yeah. that's one of the biggest things is just that totally. there was a point where you know you could kind of have that veneer and just accept it i watch tv now and you can very very clearly you can see the lights you can see the cameras you can see all that kind of stuff and i think youtube is a real pushback to just like we want that authentic engagement with someone so i think it's it's very very interesting when you see all those like you, the more highly produced stuff uh kind of come through and they're obviously, you know, wanting to, yeah, and they're obviously wanting to, you know, kind of get the audience from those people, but they seem to at the same time completely ignore the reason those people have an audience in the first place, which yeah. is their authentic personality. But, you know, I think the thing, like the Lily Singh show is they one where they've clearly tried to, you know, give her a bit more authentic authenticity but the ones that just make zero sense to me are half the stuff that which in reality should be the platforms that are most engaged with it Mm. should be are the ones where like netflix or especially in youtube really surprises me with this like their youtube red series where um i I forget what the one that logan paul was in was called oh yeah but where they try and make they they just try and make a movie and it's like what like what are you doing like logan he's a personality his audience knows when he's an actor in a movie and no offense, Logan, there's better actors out there, you know? If I wanted to go and watch an actor, I'd go and watch a real actor. Yeah. I don't want to watch a YouTuber be a really bad actor. And I think that's... And if you want to watch Logan Paul, you want to watch Logan Paul. And almost, yeah, and almost every single bit of YouTube Red content I saw in the early months, it was just all really... It, it was all YouTubers acting. I didn't see a single YouTube Red show where people were being themselves. And I think the first one that I actually engaged with and I watched a lot of the content of was when the Sidemen did that Sidemen on tour thing. And that was just the Sidemen, 
being the sideman with, with a, more production. With more money. <laughs> yeah, Long story short, I think it's going to be interesting to see how all that content evolves. I know you and I have had some very interesting discussions with people over yeah. the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, just kind of like a lot of, I, I think you're finding a lot of people are entering the space. People are starting to realize that, you know, obviously YouTube is continuing to grow and will continue to grow at an incredible pace. Authentic personalities, YouTubers, Instagrammers, they're the kind of people that the new generation want to engage with. Mm-hmm. Right now, I think that people are very also, much also realizing that the way content is being done, that premium high-produced content, the way YouTube Red's done at Netflix, TV, with YouTubers is not the right way to do it, or at least in a lot of cases isn't the right way. Yeah. And I, I think you started, people are starting to figure out that, um, you know, I, it, you really do need to find a way to blend the advantages of higher production with also the reason that people watch YouTubers in the first place, which is because they want to watch the YouTuber. They don't want to watch an actor being played that the, the YouTuber is trying to be. Totally. Because YouTubers aren't good at that. We just, yeah. we suck. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Moving on to the last segment where you and I ask each other a question that has been submitted by a listener. Do you want to go first this week? You go first. I went first last week. So you're asking me the question then? No, you're asking me the question. This is I, very confusing. Ask I, me the question. I okay. asked first last week. Okay. Before you were doing YouTube full time, or sorry, actually restart that. Okay. When you started YouTube, did you have a specific plan to get to a point where you were doing YouTube full time? Or was that just something that sort of evolved? I definitely evolved. I mean, when I when I made my first video, it was just because, you know, just for the fun of it, for the excitement. And because also I think making videos and having a couple of little YouTube subscribers was always a little bit of a passion point for me. Um, I wouldn't say that, you know, I, I really had a plan in terms of growing it. Obviously, I wanted to grow it. And I think as soon as I, there was definitely a point um, I think where I was like, okay, I'm going to take it a little bit more seriously, try and upload at least with a semblance of regularity and also <laughs> try and have content that people will want to watch mm-hmm. rather than just whatever stuff I want to spew out there. Um, uh, yeah, I wouldn't really say that I ever had like a plan for how to go full-time. I think, I mean, because the plan for how to go full-time is just what you should be doing in the first place, which is how can I make the best videos how can I, um, you know, improve my own content? And it I, happened relatively quickly for you. Yeah, I, I think actually when I kind of started focusing on like going mainstream, quote unquote, uh, that was probably when I made my worst content. Because I think it was, and I think I, I saw a lot of comments on it uh, within my like community that right after I made the decision to like go full time, you know, and really like do it, quote unquote, properly, I made a bunch of changes that were just horrible. I became like that generic YouTuber, you know, with the really bright thumbnails and Mm. like arrows and thumbnails all over the place. And suddenly I was talking different and, you know, kind of being like, you know, just changed a lot. And I think that, um, so I think I mistook being, you know, kind of that super, you know, being like the YouTubers that I'd seen as opposed to just developing my own style. Mm. Um, which, yeah, so I think it was definitely a journey that went through many, many phases. <laughs> but, uh, 
Yeah, yeah, got there, got there eventually, and hey, it worked out. Whatever the plan I had, I don't know what that plan was, but clearly it, it went okay, so. <laughs> All right, and my question is, how do you deal with the stress of your job, which is managing a bunch of prima donna YouTubers, mm. myself included? Have a couple wines at the end of every day. <laughs> you heard it here first, people. Alcohol, <laughs> that's how you deal with your problems. Uh, no, although sometimes... <coughs> Um, no, I think the stress, I think the way that I think about stress, and this doesn't work all the time because I definitely do get stressed at times, but the way that I think about stress is that when you're trying your hardest at something or you're working on something you're passionate about, you're going to care a lot about the outcomes. And I care a lot about the outcomes of everyone that I work with and what I do. And so inevitably when you care, stress will just come hand in hand in that, especially when we're working in an industry like gaming and YouTube that moves so rapidly. It moves very, very quickly. You constantly need to be thinking on your toes and adaptable and flexible. So inevitably stress will come with that. But what I try to think of is that, you know, if it was easy, everyone would do it. And basically that I'm very, very blessed to be doing a job that I love and to be able to work with brilliant creative people that challenge me as well. And yeah, that basically it's a stress that I choose. So I would much, much rather have a stress that comes from working in a job that I love and am passionate about than one that comes from the opposite, which would be probably more stressful. So that's, that's, I think, how I deal with the stress, plus a couple of wines after work. Wow. Awesome. <laughs> Does a good with job. With a little bit of alcoholism <laughs> at the end there. You love it. The complete package. All right. Guys, I think that's about all we have time for on our episode two of Watch Time. Remember to follow us on our Facebook group. We're getting that started as a little bit of a community so we can talk about topics that are happening on the podcast or topics that you'd like us to talk about. Find like-minded people there. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. That is super important and helps us get up in the algorithm. So please do that. Follow us on Spotify, follow us on YouTube, all of the places. We're literally everywhere now, which is exciting. Please, we're desperate. <laughs> all right, guys, that's about it for week two, and we will see you guys. Thanks for watching. <laughs> bye bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.